0: Good morning everyone. Thanks so much again for coming out to this uh, top of the morning session on serverless. Hope you've all been enjoying the conference so far. So this is an in-depth tour of AWS SAM. I'm Alex Wood, I'm a senior software engineer with Amazon Web Services. Uh, I've been working on the serverless apps team for about nine months now and before that I was uh, on the Ruby SDK team for AWS for a number of years. So um, if there's any Rubyists in here, you may have been introduced to me before. But hello to the rest of you as well. So what we're gonna talk about today are topics as we take the journey from starting with serverless applications to more intermediate to advanced use cases. If you haven't used AWS SAM before, it's totally fine. Uh, We're gonna have a quick introduction in the beginning, and we have a lot of great documentation and tutorials you can follow to get caught up on that and start to implement some of these things. And if you are familiar with AWS SAM, what I'm hoping we can do is find some new tips and techniques that you can use to make even more reliable applications. So we're gonna start out by looking into the SAM init command in the AWS SAM CLI, and look at the different ways that you can take all these best practices you're learning here at reInvent and systemically apply it to your organizations. We're gonna take a deep dive into some interesting features in AWS Identity and Access Management to help you go beyond good intentions when it comes to principles of least privilege. We're gonna talk about different ways that you can test serverless applications with AWS SAM. And we're gonna talk about some deployment best practices. And when we get to that point, we're also gonna have an audience participation live demo. So if you've got your uh, cell phones or laptops out, it's totally okay. I'm gonna assume you're super excited for the demo. All right, so what is AWS SAM? So AWS SAM is a framework for defining serverless applications. Uh, It's built on top of AWS CloudFormation, so any AWS CloudFormation template is going to work with AWS SAM. But what it also gives you is a shorthand syntax to express functions, APIs, databases, and a number of event source mappings to take the common patterns that you will tend to use when developing serverless applications and make them as concise and simple as possible. So you can model with YAML or JSON, you deploy with AWS CloudFormation, and AWS SAM, the AWS SAM Translator is open source and available on GitHub, so you can check this out and even contribute. We're also gonna look at the AWS SAM CLI. So this is a tool that builds on top of the AWS SAM framework to allow you to create applications, build them with a single command, build them in Lambda-compatible build containers, as well as test and deploy your applications. Uh, Through some of the AWS IDE toolkits, you also can get step-through debugging in a number of languages. And the AWS SAM CLI is also open source, so you can Contribute, we've had a lot of excellent uh, customer contributed features and designs as well. So definitely check these both out. All right, so to start off with, let's talk about becoming a power user of Salmonit. So the challenge that we wanna face here is, as you again, as you start to take all these best practices that you're learning from this session and other sessions, How can you become a force multiplier and give that back to your entire organization? One way that you can do this is you can actually build SAM templates that are designed to ingrain all those best practices as you begin a new application. So somebody, say, who's new to your team, new to a project, new to serverless, you can say, I've got a template, it builds in all these best practices that we've learned as an organization and you can use that as a starting point. So a lot, we have a lot of built-in templates that tend to be examples or minimal starting points, and it's a good place to start and learn, but over time you're gonna develop your own best practices that are specific to your organization, and that's where this can really come in handy. So the AWS CLI does support custom init sources, so What we're gonna walk through in a bit is a serverless Ruby web application template that I've written and kind of show how that was done. And if you see it on GitHub, you'll also see that the pattern is actually something that you can create and start publishing your own, either publicly or privately, essentially any time. And this can be a great way, again, to bake in those best practices from the very beginning. So in the example you're going to see, it's a fairly simple web application with a few bells and whistles in place. So it uses the model of API gateway going to a Lambda function with a DynamoDB database backing it. What we also do in the template side is we have a number of alarms. So we set thresholds on P50 and P99 latency as well as on error counts, and we have those alarms ready from the very beginning. So for an example of a built-in alarm, uh, all of these existing CloudFormation constructs that you're probably familiar with go really well with AWS SAM resources. So if I define a serverless function resource, I can reference that inside inside a CloudWatch error alarm, just like I would any other uh, lambda function that I've created manually. Another useful thing about these templates is you can use it to reduce rewriting of boilerplate code. So, uh, quick show of hands, who has used uh, Ruby on Rails or Sinatra before? So we've got a few hands. And who've used, who've used any lightweight libraries like Python's Flask or Sinatra or anything like that? So, when you look at libraries like that, what you might do for marshaling work is say, how do I take an API Gateway event and build that and send that to my serverless applica- or to my web server application in a way that it understands? And then when it gives me a response, how can I translate that into the shape that API Gateway expects to send a response? So we can put all of that into a single set of classes, solve it once, And then if you look on the right, all a developer who's gonna start a new project is gonna see is, here's a new application, nothing specific about serverless infrastructure tie-ins is there, and you can just start coding. So to get a working demo, all we're gonna need to do is initialize our template through the SAM init command. We can run a build, and then we can do a guided interactive deployment. And if you've used SAM before, that last command is actually fairly new. This was one of our last pre-invent launches where you have to manage a lot less about the deployment process. So let's go ahead and get into a demo of that. So I've got an empty folder here, and we're gonna start by going through the salmonit process. So we have both quick start templates and custom locations that we can use. And for this example, we're gonna wanna go with our custom template. So the template itself has a couple of commands, or a couple of parameters. I'm gonna go ahead and call this project Hello Reinvent. And let's go inside. So for a very quick tour of the code that we just generated. So we can see in the template that you have a typical serverless function resource. You'll notice in a hint to the next section that we have a fairly narrowly scoped DynamoDB CRUD policy only on our generated table. We pass the name of that table through as an environment variable. And then for API Gateway, we can more or less just say what is the path that invokes this function and that's going to work. But since we're using Sinatra and Sinatra wants to manage routes itself, we can also solve once the problem of how do we configure API Gateway to proxy all routes to the same Lambda function, and that's what we configure here. Um, This is also available on GitHub, so we're not gonna go through every line of it, but you can see we can create a table, and then we have all of our alarms that are in place that, of course, you can configure. So you could say, for example, these 250 millisecond and one full second uh, P50 and P99 thresholds are a little bit conservative, so, you can start to observe how long your app actually tends to take and configure those alarms as you like, but it gives you a good starting point. And then again, as you can see, when it comes to actually writing the service code, there is nothing related to Lambda here. So I can be completely new to Lambda as a technology and be productive right away. Because we can solve the problem once of how do I do the marshaling and how do I interact with Sinatra, and then I'm good to go. So now that we have that, let's go ahead and build our application. And one nice thing about SAM build is we have a number of build processes for the given runtime supported by Lambda, and we build and package the applications in a way that is Uh, idiomatic for the Lambda runtime. So for Ruby, for example, it's gonna handle vendoring all of your dependencies and putting it somewhere that the runtime knows where to find them. And we can boil that down to a single command. And then we're just gonna do a guided deployment. We're gonna put it in US East 2. Another nice feature is you can manually review changes before you deploy them, if you wish. And you can also save all the arguments you need for packaging and deploying to a configuration file so that future deployments are just, Sam deploy and I'm done. So if you're doing quick development cycles, this can make that a lot simpler. Uh, Another thing you'll notice um, as we get to the point "Would I like to deploy this change set, well, it's literally just adding things. Um, I never dealt with S3 buckets at any point in this process. Um, That didn't happen in the background, it's not in the template. What happens now is, if you wish, the AWS SAM CLI will actually manage the S3 buckets that store your code on your behalf. So if you want to have a very carefully configured S3 bucket, you can do that and bring that. Um, If you just want us to handle it for you and give give you a reasonably configured S3 bucket, we just do that for you automatically. Gives you a little bit less to think about as you're starting a new application. So I think once these roles get created, we're gonna be going pretty quickly. And then we can go see how that turned out. The other nice thing too is a lot of you who've used AWS SAM probably have scripts that say immediately after a deployment is done, describe the stack and give me all my outputs. That is also now built directly into the SAM deploy command. So as soon as this is done, I'm gonna be able to copy paste and I'm away. All right, so now we're getting to the quick create part. And feeling the anticipation. All right, and that works. So that's the process of creating, building, and launching a new serverless application running on Lambda. All right, next, let's talk about working with identity and access management policies. So I think we all know that following the principle of least privilege is important. Typically speaking, you don't wanna have a lot of stars inside your IAM policies. And most SAM templates actually have permissions to create IAM roles. So part of creating a new Lambda function is we create the role on your behalf that you need to execute things. By default, that role is just going to have basic access permissions, and we're gonna provide a number of tools to help you create narrowly scoped permissions But it's also true that good intentions are not enough. We want to make sure, especially when we're in tech leadership of an organization, that it is as difficult as possible to make a mistake. And that's where some of the tools we're gonna look at today like permissions boundaries come in handy. So to get some initial background, AWS SAM has a number of built-in canned policies that make it simple to design narrowly scoped permissions around a resource. So you'll see on the left, we have a canned CRUD policy, which gives us permissions to create, read, update, and delete items in a given table that we define elsewhere in the template. So it's only gonna be the tables you define, not all DynamoDB tables, and it's only going to be operations commonly used for CRUD operations, so like not managing the table state itself. On the right, you can see that we also provide you a handy shorthand to define a custom permission policy directly in your SAM template. So over time, you may get very opinionated about exactly what permissions you want to grant, and we make that a little bit easier for you to do. You can also do a mix of this. You can have some policies be canned and then add other permission statements that are manually defined, whatever works well for you. So you can have exactly the permissions you need to run your Lambda function and no more. Another interesting concept is identity and access management permissions boundaries. So these are managed policies that you can create that apply to any IAM users or roles that you wish. And what you can do is you can set permissions in that managed policy and that becomes the maximum set of permissions that can be granted to any IAM entity that has that permissions boundary applied. So in essence, the entity you create can only do actions that are explicitly allowed both in the role or user as well as in the permissions boundary. And the AWS serverless function resource allows you to directly pass in a permissions boundary and we will apply that to any roles that are created for that function. So to see this in action, you can imagine we define a permissions boundary where we give you basic Lambda execution permissions, but only allow you to call getItem when it comes to DynamoDB. However, in my function, what you can see is I'm using the DynamoDB CRUD policy. So I expect to be able to write, put, update, and delete items. But if I apply that permissions boundary, the only DynamoDB operation I'm gonna be able to do is getItem on that application table. And what this allows you to do is make it more difficult to make a configuration mistake. So if we systemically enforce that you have permissions boundaries on all app roles that you can create, which is what we're gonna show you how to do soon, what we can say is that if you accidentally give too many permissions to a function, that's still not going to take effect. You have to apply the permissions in both places. And this makes it easier to have best practices around access built in to everything your organization does. So again, to see that last example, you have your IAM policy permissions, you have the permissions boundary, the actual things you can do is only the union of the two. Intersection. Yep, sorry, it is still 8.30 in the morning. Um, Here's where it gets really fun. If we build a CI-CD pipeline, we can apply the permissions boundary from there. So the pattern we're gonna define is you create the permissions boundary policy in your CI-CD tool chain, or create it elsewhere and pass it into your CI-CD tool chain, and you can configure the CloudFormation role inside your deployment permissions <laughs> to say the only way you're creating IAM roles is if it has this permissions boundary. So if I forget to apply the permissions boundary and try to deploy, it's not gonna happen. I don't have the permissions. If I try to deploy a function, give it a role, and I put the permissions boundary on it, like the policy says, the deployment will work just fine. So we can pass that ARN into our application template, make it a global function value, and we're done. So let's go ahead and see this in action. So what I'm showing you here, and go ahead and raise your hand if you can't see the code clearly on the screen. Um, I can make it bigger or mess around with the settings, but we are basically giving, in the permissions boundary, a number of static DynamoDB permissions, only on tables created inside our app templates. And we're also giving permissions to invoke lambda functions and a code deploy lifecycle hook because we're using pre-traffic hooks. Um, And we can even get more narrowly scoped than this if you like, but you can create a permissions boundary policy. And if we go find our CloudFormation role, what we will also see is when we get to permissions to create IAM roles, you can only do it on the condition that a permissions boundary exists on it. So now what we've systemically said is if you try to create a role and it doesn't have a permissions boundary, you can't do it with a single single narrowly scoped exception of we can also create code deploy policies that have different permissions boundaries because we're gonna have code deploy performing some actions in our deployments. But you have these management tools to reduce overuse of IAM permissions. Uh, So the question was if we have the sample code posted, and the answer is not yet, but I intend to have that as a fast follow to the conference. So hopefully by the time you're watching this at home, uh, the link is gonna be available for the sample code. So if we go into our application template, uh, you can see that we have a global setting, which AWS SAM gives you, which says, every function has this permissions boundary applied and we take that permissions boundary yarn in as a parameter to our template. So when we create the template, it expects a boundary yarn, and then we apply that to all functions. So then in our code pipeline, what we say is, when we deploy, we pass the boundary yarn, and everything should work well. However, I'm about to make a mistake, and this is gonna be the three-part arc of this demo. So I'm gonna go into our API code. And I'm going to do something that is definitely not within the permissions boundary. I'm gonna try to describe some EC2 instances. And if you look at our application template for this function, I have absolutely given myself the relevant permissions to do this. I can access any EC2 API from this function. Um, But, this is in in conflict with the permissions boundary. So let's go ahead and push this change with a commit message of what could possibly go wrong. And we're gonna go ahead and start our pipeline. Now, we're gonna get to continuous integration later, and there's gonna be a very familiar story about why we're gonna get through continuous integration, but we don't have unit tests that cover this, so we're gonna expect it to build, and we're gonna come back later and see what happens with this change. So again, if we look at what we expect this to do When we have a permissions boundary in place for a given function, uh, this says that we have permissions to get item. The function called there find on AWS record uses get item. That's cool, that's gonna work. But if I wanna use scan, which would be allowed by CRUD policies, but is not allowed by the permissions boundary, I'm going to get an exception. So this is the way in which you can systemically enforce the principle of least privilege across your applications. Now what I wanna talk about is effective testing of AWS SAM applications. So the challenge here is we have a couple of different modes of testing, and we wanna understand when each one best applies. So the AWS SAM CLI provides ways to do local testing but that does have inherent limitations while still being useful for having a quick feedback loop as you code. You also want to understand how do I fit remote testing into CI-CD because serverless in general and AWS SAM in particular provide you some great advantages for testing your serverless applications because you can create a new stack that is an identical clone of your production stack and you're only paying for the actual traffic you use, so this is actually a very reasonable pattern to follow. So for AWS SAM Local, this uses Docker images to simulate execution on AWS Lambda. We have a few different modes, so you can say SAM Local start API, and if you have an API gateway in your template, we're going to start that up and give you a web endpoint that you can hit as if it were your deployed website. We have SAM local start Lambda, which simulates the Lambda service itself. So you could use the endpoint we create with the AWS SDKs or the AWS CLI and make calls to Lambda using your code as if it was running remotely. We also have SAM local invoke, which allows you to pass custom created events in as single invocations and see the output of those. So this is really useful for quick development cycles and iterations, so inside baseball, the first time that I gave the Ruby demo in a dry run of this very talk, didn't work. I deployed it and everything was broken. Well, it turns out I'd made a silly configuration error and by spinning up SAM local, it was a great way to very quickly see, oh yeah, I didn't build my, I never actually built the dependencies, so of course that's not going to work. Um, But it's really useful for that, because I could quickly see here's how I resolve the problem, run it, and I'm not doing a whole bunch of deployments to try to track down a silly configuration error. And again, this is also a way where if you're using the AWS toolkits, you can do step-through debugging while local testing. So let's do a quick demonstration of this. So we're now back inside the Ruby application that we created earlier. And since we've built it, we can run SAM local start API, and we can skip pulling down new Docker images because we're not gonna try that on conference Wi-Fi. So now I have an endpoint running locally that I can hit as if it's the remote web endpoint. So if we go over here, we refresh, you can go to the command line and see that it's gonna delegate to a runtime container, um, and it's going to time out probably because, we're having some image issues. One thing that can happen is local can be a little bit finicky when you first start it, so there you go. So we can locally create an API, get it up and running, and test all of our different functions on our local machine. So we can close that out. What we can also do is generate test events. So if I wanna create an API gateway, API proxy event, I can give it our root path, make it a get request, because that's what we currently expect, and create a file with our event. Um, It is AWS proxy, not API proxy. This is a real live demo. Okay, so now we have a JSON event that our function is going to recognize as coming from API Gateway. And what we can do with that is we can invoke with that proxy event, again not pull down an image, and get a singular invocation that should return us our HTML response that we would get from API Gateway. And where this comes really in handy is especially when you're testing things that are asynchronous commands. So you could test something that's gonna pull from an SQS queue by giving it the SQS type of message it would expect and make sure that all your different functions are working. So you have a number of different tools to test different functions locally. All right, so let's talk about live integration testing. So serverless and cloud formation really do make it easy for you to test on a prod-like environment. So imagine, for example, a code pipeline stage we could create where we actually create and execute a new stack that is the same template we use in production. We use a code build job to run whatever integration tests we want to run to get confident that this is gonna work. You even seed it with prod-like data. You can kind of create an environment that is as close to prod as you would like. And then we can delete the stack when we're done and just clean up those resources. So it might look like this. We have a number of stages and we just wanna make sure we do some real integration testing before we attempt to deploy production. We wanna deploy with confidence. So this is going to give us again, the deployment of the stack, the running of test scripts, and then deletion of the stack when we're done. So we've already been able to successfully build our code. So if I just turn this transition on, what it's going to do is go through that process of creating the beta stack, running integration tests on it, and then cleaning it up. So how does that work? If we go into our app code, you have your build spec for code build, which is gonna say, use Python 3.7, build our test requirements, and run our unit tests before we build and package, which then gives us the CloudFormation template we need to do our deployments. You can also create an Integ test build spec, and all we have to do here is say, install our test requirements, and then run the Integ tests, and in the pipeline, we can pass in as an environment variable the actual stack ID that we just created so that we don't have to do any guesswork. And then if we look at our integration tests, this is a fairly rudimentary thing, but what we're doing is we're listing our posts. We create one, we see that it exists, that we can get it and list it. We delete it, we see that it's gone. We see that if you list it, it's no longer there. However, as a very fallible developer, and I am, I have a mistake. Really quickly, can anyone raise their hand if they see the mistake, based on what we did earlier? I'm not testing the boundary breaking function at all. I forgot. So if I were to test it, this beta test would fail. But I have failed to do so, so we're actually gonna slip through our integration tests despite the fact that the environment is going to be the same. But if we had any other mistakes, like my DynamoDB configuration was broken and so I couldn't actually do all the operations I need to, that I would catch. So that's gonna start executing, building, and deleting. But this is another tool that you can use to get more confidence that your code is going to work before you deploy it. You can run performance testing, chaos testing, um, any number of tests, you can just create a prod-like environment, do whatever you'd like to it, and if it looks good, you move on to a production deployment. There's even other patterns you can use, like creating a pre-production stage that you don't clean up every time, just so that if there's any deployment-based issues where you'd reach an unstable state in prod, you could hit that before we get to production. All right, so we're gonna let those integration tests continue to run. But in summary, AWS SAM local testing is really helpful for experimental tests on a developer machine. Do some quick debugging, some quick messing around. If you are someone who makes silly configuration errors in a live demo like me, it's a great way to just figure that out real quick and not waste too much time on it. It's also worth noting that AWS CloudFormation and AWS CodePipeline go really well together. So writing integration tests that are running on a completely prod-like environment is a very approachable thing to do. And all of this together provides a feedback loop you can use as you're developing and shipping changes to your application to ship changes with confidence. So, now we start to get to deployments. And the challenge here, of course, is how do we deploy safely? No matter what we do in integration testing, from time to time, a bad change is gonna make it to production. And what we wanna make sure we do is that we minimize, and when possible, automatically end the negative customer impact of such a change. So how do we detect these problems and roll back with minimal, minimal customer impact? So AWS SAM actually has a number of built-in deployment options that help you to do this. So you can do instant traffic shifting and even traffic balancing with Lambda aliases. You can create pre-traffic or post-traffic hooks to have a smoke test that says, hey, you know, you're deployed to prod, but before I send you any traffic, I just wanna make sure, do you actually work um, and that can be a great way to quickly detect and then never actually deploy that change to a place where cu- production customers are going to see it. We can also do traffic shifting using AWS code deploy. So you can create deployment preferences that are gonna shift a portion of your traffic over time so that only a subset of customers maybe would see an error before we can detect it. So when we talk about pre and post traffic hooks, these are a useful code deploy construct and what we would do is we can create a function which itself is going to be executed by code deploy, we give it permissions to invoke whatever functions you would like it to test and basically, if it returns a successful response, code deploy assumes we're good to go, if you call back the execution hook with an error. It's gonna say, there's a problem, stop the deployment, never turn it over to production traffic. So as a concept, this is smoke testing. This is how you can smoke test your production deployments. When we talk about traffic shifting, this is where it gets fun. So AWS SAM has a number of built-in deployment patterns where you can take 5 to, 10, five to 20% of traffic as a canary and then shift everything over if you don't have any immediate problems. Or you could even say, let's do a deployment that lasts 100 minutes. Every 10 minutes, we're gonna shift over 10% of the traffic and we're really gonna slowly make sure that nobody has any problems, no systems get overloaded and start erroring, so we can slowly gain confidence that our deployment is correct and if there's any problems, we error out. So. You can shift over 10% of your traffic and start monitoring the relevant alarms. Over time you get to 20% and eventually all your traffic is shifted over. And if there's no problems, the old version is gone and your deployment is complete. So this is a successful deployment. Sometimes, however, like in a few minutes, you start to shift over your traffic and there's a problem. We just shipped a bug. It's going to slip through beta testing. So hopefully, we're gonna get alarms getting tripped as the traffic shifts. And at this point, the deployment logic is going to roll back on your behalf. So as soon as that alarm is triggered, the code deployment is aborted, all the traffic goes back to the old version of the code, the deployment is marked as failed, and you can start to figure out what happened. So let's go ahead and demo this. So as you can see, our beta stack has indeed succeeded. What I'm about to do is create our production deployment. So this is where we get to the interactive part. I'm gonna go ahead and tweet out a link, and I'll go ahead and show that to you in a moment. If my phone is going to cooperate with me. And what you can do is click this link, and right now, it should work just fine. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and open Twitter over here. So if you go to Alex W. Wood on Twitter, you don't have to follow me, but there's a link here that you can click that is going to have the path that is about to fail. So right now, if I click through, Seems to work fine. Uh, The bad code was commented out. So let's go ahead and enable that transition to production. So again, what this is gonna do is I've got my working production stack and we're going to generate and execute the change set that does that deployment. When we do, as soon as the new function alias is created, it doesn't finish right away it creates a code deploy job that uses API Gateway to say, this alias gets 10% of the traffic, this alias gets 90%, the old code, and if the error alarm gets triggered, which if we participate a little bit, it should, uh, the deployment will automatically roll back, and if we go five minutes without errors in this case, the deployment will complete successfully. So now the question is, can we catch the problem and prevent the customer impact? So the change set execution has begun. You're gonna see the new function version gets created, the pre-traffic checkers on other functions run successfully, and now the code deploy deployment starts. So if I refresh this, what you can see is the deployment is now in progress. So let's go ahead and click that link, and as soon as we can get five errors in one minute, the deployment is going to fail. And what you'll notice is most of the time when you load this link, there's no problem. 90% of traffic is going to the working code. But if you refresh enough, you're gonna start to see problems. You're gonna get internal server errors, it goes back we seem to have some bad code. So right now, we're doing the deployment, it's watching the alarms on these errors, and as soon as we get to one minute with problems, we're gonna get an abort request if all goes well, and this deployment is going to fail. And I do have to apologize to anyone watching on video, This will not continuously be running. So live participation is only if you're here. All right, so a number of errors have happened. As soon as we get to the one minute threshold, we should see, if all goes well, an abort request come into the top of this console. So again, what you have all simulated is the production traffic coming in and hitting the code, which again, had permissions configured to access EC2, made a call to EC2, but because of the permissions boundary we have enforced, it shouldn't have permissions to do that, and indeed, you're seeing errors. So we've shipped a bug, and now what happens is the deployment gets automatically canceled, all the traffic is shifted away, and if you're still hitting that link, you're probably not noticing errors anymore. So this is the way that we can make deployments safer. And if you look at our AWS SAM template, there's really not a lot to it. We go to our boundary breaker function and all I did was publish aliases and give it a deployment process pointing it to an alarm. So 10% of my traffic for five minutes and then shift over. And just by writing that, it creates all that infrastructure for you to have auto rolling back deployments. So thanks for participating and making sure that that failed. I have never been happier to have a live demo fail on me on stage. All right, so let's bring this all together. So in summary, as you go to all these different reInvent sessions and you learn a lot of new best practices, you learn about new best features, You can use that to build cookie cutter templates, cookie cutter being a uh, open source templating language used by the AWS SAM CLI, to take all those best practices and become a force multiplier in your organization. Build it into new applications from the beginning. Identity and access management is gonna give you a number of ways to then secure your applications. So for example, your pipelines, beta stacks and production applications could all live in different accounts through through something like AWS organizations. And you can make it a little bit harder to change the permissions boundary, but give developers the freedom to configure what they feel that they need for their functions. And in that way, you take the principle of least privilege and move it from a good intention to something that's systemically enforced. You also have a number of tools for local and remote testing. So local development, again, super useful as you're doing development on your machine. And then you can take that and deploy that to a real production-like stack to get high confidence in your changes. Finally, AWS SAM gives you a number of safe deployment helpers. You can run smoke tests. You can auto roll back if your tests have missed something and customers get errors. Rollback first, ask questions last. Finally, and I believe that all of these sessions still have repeats before the end of the conference, but if not, uh, these are gonna be some great things to check out on YouTube later. We have great talks on moving to event-driven architectures. So because of time, I didn't really have time to get into the best practices around event-driven architectures, but once you know how to detect and do safe deployments, a lot of these same principles can apply to those as well. So you can learn more about those best practices in that session. We have a whole session focused on CI-CD, give you a number of different tools you can add on from this. We also have sessions about details of optimizing the performance and reliability of your serverless applications, ways to use API Gateway more effectively. Uh, You can see a session from our brilliant director and senior principal engineer on how AWS Lambda works under the hood, if you want to get a deeper understanding of that, as well as best practices around asynchronous processing and building resilient systems as you get to scale. Also, AWS Training has serverless sessions. Check them out. Anyways, you can find me on Twitter. I try to always be reachable if you have any questions or want to know more. Uh, So thank you so much again for coming this early in the morning. Uh, I know that it's pretty rough, but I hope you got a lot out of it. I'm gonna hang around both here and outside for as long as anyone has questions, so feel free to hang out and we'll chat serverless. Thanks very much.